Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel. I'm joined here again with Elias Randall, and we're, we're here to talk about an article that we recently read. Um, it came through from Franklin Templeton, which if you're not familiar with them, they're a large institutional money manager and provide products for retail clients. And they're founded by a guy named Sir John Templeton. And, and I'm reminded of this because we actually have this poster uh, in our restroom on the back of the door when you come out. And he had a famous quote, which I think is actually really, really relevant today, Elias. And that quote is, bull markets are born on pessimism, grown on skepti- skepticism, mature on optimism, and die in euphoria. And if you think about that, right now, I don't know where we are in that cycle. You know, there's still $5 trillion of cash sitting on the sideline. But I feel like there is a level of euphoria in the market with a certain segment of investors. Um, and it's the, the younger investors, and a lot of this has been driven by the platforms like Robinhood and you know millennials getting into day trading and be active about this. And you can see it in a couple of things that have happened recently. Elon Musk came out, um, I think it was a week or two ago, and said something about some messaging company, and it caused yeah. the stock to go through the roof, and it was the wrong company. It wasn't even the right company so that he was talking he made, about. He misspoke or people misunderstood people misunderstood and started buying a company that was a nonprofit and it just drove the stock price through the roof because people are so euphoric about buying and driving up the price of these stocks so i i, I always think back to that and i'm always trying to figure out where are we at in this market cycle you know from a personal standpoint but then if you look back to the last 90 years it hasn't really mattered right 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 and you know, when you look back and right now, so we're back to all time highs in the markets. And I guess when I was reading through this, I was thinking about, you know, people are asking, okay, we're at an all time high. When's the correction coming? What do I do right now? How do I get prepared for this? And I think this gives a good look at um, asset allocation and being diversified, the different options you have. And then the other thing that I was surprised by is, like we, it's very popular to talk about unprecedented times right now, but we always have things that go on that you could consider unprecedented. When you break down each decade, you see, you know, we've been through wars, we've been through um, other sicknesses or flus, we've been through a lot of this stuff, and still the market has been resilient and just the American economy has been resilient throughout time. Well, that's a good point because coincidentally enough, the day we're filming this is the day of inauguration. And one of the things Joe Biden said this morning was that we're in historically unprecedented times. Right. This is historic time. I disagree with that. I mean, it's we've we've had these things right. all along. Yes, is the, do we are we fighting a virus that we've never seen? Yes, but we've had, you know, flus in the past. We've had polio. We've had all these different sicknesses that we've got through. Um, so I, I think just going back to this and to your point, a hundred percent right. Just we're gonna have different stuff the next ten years that happens that will put us in unprecedented times because we've never seen it. It doesn't mean that you should be fearful about what's going on in the world and in part of this exercise today is just show the relationship between risk and reward right through the different decades and how you would have done and and i was actually surprised as i went through this not totally surprised but a little bit surprised as to what the best portfolio was in most decades even considering all the bad things that happened in those decades so when we talk about 
asset allocation, we were really talking about the diversification of portfolios between cash, bonds, or fixed income, and stocks or equity. Okay, and, and for right. this exercise and for this, this white paper, they really broke it down into five basic asset allocation portfolios, all the way from 100% stock to basically all income or all fixed income. Um, and, and if you think about most people, I think if you said, hey, you have to live with five portfolios from an asset allocation standpoint, we could m make that work for almost everybody. You know, yeah, it, it, it really could be that simple. You know, and we do a financial plan. We really we really, really drive it down and get more particular. But you're really just trying to get somebody in their optimal portfolio, which is why we are huge advocates of financial planning, crafting a well-written financial plan to determine what portfolio is right for you. Because we have a saying, you know, there's great investments. The question is, are those investments great for you? And the only way to quantify it is through a financial plan. So I'd remind everybody that if you don't have one, you can go to the website, btwellshow.com. Um, there's a button on there. You can hit the button to start a plan or contact one of our advisors. Um, but for today, we're just going to talk about the five general asset allocation portfolios that that you could potentially have or would be a potential outcome, you know, for your portfolio. And when we talk about in these, we're we're going to name them aggressive growth, um, growth, which is 80% stock, 20% bonds, moderate growth. That's your traditional 60-40 model. Conservative growth, which is basically 40% stock, 40% bonds, 20% cash. And then a income portfolio, which is 20% stock, 60% bonds, 20% cash. And um, for the growth, it's just the S&P 500 and bond indexes. All, all that was used for the actual um, benchmark. Yeah, and I'd say for these hypothetical portfolios, the other thing I liked about this white paper was it uh it assumes rebalancing which is something we talk a lot about and we proactively do for our clients so and that's an important thing because when you have areas of your portfolio that outperform it is important to look at okay what maybe is it it might be as simple as sell some winners buy some losers or if you need to have a 80 percent stock 20 percent bond portfolio and now you're running it like 85, 15, how do you get back to that optimal portfolio for you? And these high, the, these scenarios assume rebalancing through all these decades. Well, think back to the last year and how important rebalancing could have been as a strategy if clients took advantage of it or individual investors did. So yeah, let's just say you entered the year with a 50% stock, 50% bond portfolio. By the end of March, your portfolio was down, if, if that was your allocation, probably around 20%. Yeah. So now you actually had 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks. Had you have rebalanced, you'd have brought it back to 50-50, so you'd have sold 10% of those bonds, bought 10% back in those stocks, and now you've experienced this great run-up from the bottom. Well, yeah, and you would have been rewarded for doing something proactive and doing something that was prudent for your situation. Yeah, it's proactive versus reactive. You yeah. reacted to the situation, but in a proactive way. It's kind of like my daughter when things don't go her way. I'm like, hey, let's, hey, that didn't work. Let's figure out how to turn lemons into lemonade. And she always kind of laughs because, you know, she's like four and a half. She thinks it's funny, but I'm just trying to say, hey, it's not going to go your way. But how do we make a negative into a positive? And that's one of the ways you can do it. Conversely, now, if you did rebalancing 
in April of last year, you're probably looking at doing it now because my guess is you've got an outweighed amount of stocks in this portfolio due to the, the rapid recovery that we saw in the market. You probably want to rebalance back the other way. And if you don't rebalance the other way, that's the greed kicking in that people have, right? Where they're starting to get exactly. greedy and yeah. say, hey, man, everything's doing so well. Why would I want to go back to the portfolio that I had before? So rebalancing is important. I'm glad you, you brought that up um, throughout this. Uh, but but the first decade, and we go back to 1930, is is the 30s, right? Yeah. Um, and this is kind of a interesting decade. A lot of stuff happened, um, and and I like to look at parallels. And I've been talking about this for a long time. But you know, we had a Great Depression in the 30s. Well, we just had a Great Recession not too long ago. 12 years. It's getting long longer ago. Yep. Great Recession. They had the creation of the New Deal in the 1930s. Well. We're probably looking at the creation of some form of a Green New Deal. So we can look at what happened back then, see what happened now. Does it really matter for somebody's portfolio? We also had um, the, the crash of 29, right? 16 million shares traded, and it started the Great Depression. We had 25% unemployment. Well, just six months ago, we had 25% unemployment. So there's all these parallels. And people start to get scared by what actually happened. Um, and I like to look at what did actually happen. So if we take a look at the average annual returns for that entire period of time, right? The stock market for 10 years is actually negative. Yeah. Slightly. It was down half a percent. Yeah. Basically flat, but yeah, down half a percent. And that was the average return. So if somebody had a 100% stock portfolio, they lost half a percent of their money, which that's unfortunate, but it's not cataclysmic. It's not like they lost 80% of their money. They might have thought it was cataclysmic in 1929 if they lost massive amounts of money, you know, during the Great Depression. But if they held on, they're okay. Right. And that's also in a decade where you got kicked off with a big stock market crash at the end of 1929. And then what really stuck out to me, average unemployment was 18.23%. For the so, entire decade. Yeah, that's the average for the decade. So there were a lot of people out of work for basically 10 years. And basically of all the decades we're looking at, that's the worst. Um, from a stock market perspective, that's the worst decade. Yeah. Okay. Bonds, long-term government bonds did just under 5%. So the best portfolio for the 30s was the income portfolio. If you invested $1,000, it would have basically returned $1,464 would have been. Then the ending, the ending total. So I think what's interesting is this is the one period of time where the actual income portfolio over 90 years was the winner. And I'm, I'm fast forwarding here because I know what the answers are, but it makes sense if you had that high unemployment, government bonds had the highest return. And if stocks were negative, your, your income portfolio and cash portfolio will probably be right. the best for the 30s. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. And so then we, we transitioned into uh, the 1940s, which we entered uh, World War II. So, and this is a good example when we were reading through this. So we entered into World War II. World War II uh, wrapped up in 1945. And so for the first five years, our economy was really driven by uh, getting ready for war, building airplanes and building tanks and ammunition. Well, and we have them today. We call them perma bears or your pessimistic predictors what the predictions were and what the talk was is regarding the economy and the stock market was we won't be able to to transition back to a non-wartime economy fast enough 
and we'll have a stock market crash and we will also have uh, bad economic times which proved to be wrong and that was untrue and the 40s were actually good in the stock market and good for the economy um s p 500 was around nine percent return and the unemployment was on average five percent for the entire decade so to me that's you went from the 30s where your average unemployment was 18 percent um down to five and just like today how we have people predicting oh there could be a 70 percent stock market crash 80 percent stock market crash you know those are just predictions the same back in the 40s and to me those were some those could be seen as logical predictions because we're in war and now we're coming back we're not going to be um, producing a lot of those things anymore um, but i to me that shows the resiliency of you know the american people our businesses our economy and our stock market well some of those predictions are probably based on recency bias right they just right. saw a great depression well this has to happen again or this will happen again and we start to form opinions about man we spent all this money on a war how are we not going to you know have some kind of economic collapse from it well if you you have the parallel to today of coronavirus we spent trillions of dollars on this and it's exactly what the predictors are saying today is well we're gonna have to pay this back how are we ever going to get off a zero percent interest rate how are we ever going to do this without some kind of an economic pullback and at the end of the day they just don't know i mean markets can't be predicted and this is maybe the first time in history where really that was proven predictions really don't matter that much predictions are just somebody's speak and somebody's narrative that they believe will happen we've said it before they'll be right eventually right we just don't know when and how much does a person actually miss out on getting to the point where they're they're actually right right and we we know on average there's at least a 15 percent correction every three and a half years which is really all the more reason to work with a professional who's going to help you not make bad decisions and to have a financial plan that you know we've considered it we've considered those type of things happening um you know and then helping talk you through it how to stick the course when it does happen right and you know people at this point in time there's no such thing as financial planning in the 40s Oh, not right. as it is in today. You know, today right. it was, oh, this is just a stock market. And, you know, I I wasn't around, but I would guess that the stock market at that point in time was seen as more speculative versus this tool to get someone to retirement. Yeah, I think, well, there might have been some people starting to talk about behavioral finance and like buying and holding like maybe like Benjamin Graham or someone, but not like today where there's a lot of people that talk about behavioral finance and how to build wealth over the long term sure sure um so then elias ushers in the eisenhower years and this is where we started to see some really massive reaction to civil rights movements elvis was rocking the world back then um and we transitioned to more of a consumer nation as households started to buy their first cars and some of the technological advances and um modern more modern amenities for the time became available, which really started to grow stock prices. I mean, they'd reached their highest level since 1929. Um, they were followed by an 18 month bear market from April 56 to October of 57, where the S&P declined 19%. So there was still turmoil, but we, we saw some, some growth that was driven here. And coincidentally enough, guess what portfolio was the best again? 
the hundred percent stock yeah, portfolio, the all stock portfolio. And, but I think it's important as we talk about this being the best portfolio, it's not because it's the best portfolio for any one person, right? If, right. if your financial plan dictated that you could have a hundred percent stock portfolio and your risk tolerance also kind of dictated or re-ingrained that that was appropriate for you, it, it would be good for you. And if you think about it, the markets went up over time. I mean, a lot. So most of the time, the stock portfolio is going to be the correct portfolio. But the S&P 500 in the 50s was up a little bit over 19%. Um, we saw bonds actually average negative. So long-term government bonds were down just just ever so slightly. Um, and the unemployment rate was about 4.5%. So one of the trends I'm kind of seeing is, oh, we have an unemployment go down again. We had this massive growth. Um, but I think one of the cool things that, that I found from the article and I didn't think about it is that's when the vehicle became like mainstream. Everybody has started to get a car. Yep. Well, cars and TVs were starting to be in every home in America. Cars and TVs. And today it's cell phones and right. hoverboards. I don't know. Um, right. So right. the fifties were a very prosperous time for anybody who decided to invest with some level of, uh, of risk in a yeah. portfolio. Yeah. And what, what stood out to me and, I guess to kind of draw comparisons to today. So there was an 18 month bear market where the stock market went down 19%, just over 19%. Well, so then I was wondering, okay, so if this year when coronavirus started and, and our markets went down like 35% or more, how would people, and it was short, it was short lived, right? But how would people have responded differently if it would have been a longer drawn out market of like this situation where it's 18 months? Yeah, I, I actually, I think that's a curious question because a lot of people knew it was happening, but they were more concerned this year about their health, their safety. I mean, they were probably watching their money, but they were more watching the news to see what was going to happen with this virus that had just captivated us as a country and then the reaction to it. And by the time they probably got their – so think about this. They got their March statement, which, oh, it's down. Yep. By the time they got their July statement, they made a good chunk of it back. So I think their reaction level was, wasn't that of lots of pain, where if you got the March statement, you were down 10%, and then you got the July statement, you're down 10%, another 10 and you just – constantly keeps wearing on you yeah it seems like it almost be more like like death by a thousand pricks like can you can you take it it's kind of like when my daughter keeps asking for the same thing over and over and over and by the like 40th time you're like whatever what whatever <laughs> <laughs> you just uncle i i i, I succumb to whatever is going to happen and i think yeah. you're right and it's one of the things that i think's happened with technology, which we, we talk about in a previous show, is that the speed of information is so quick, it's moving markets quickly or too, faster too. Right. I mean, you, something happens, you can literally go on here, you can be on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you're on, get the information, make a trade within seconds. Well, that just didn't happen 20, 30, 40 years ago, so it took people longer to react on both ends, longer to panic mm-hmm. and longer to get back. Right. Right. And I and we, we should point out, even with that 18 month bear market for the decade, stock market in general is up over 19 percent. So and we're not predicting that's going to happen again. Right. But just something to think about if it were to happen. You know, do you have a plan that's going to keep you on track? 
So then Elias, the 60s usher in this kind of social revolution. And I think when we think back to this, we think of hippies and yep. all, all this different stuff. Vietnam John, War. John F. Kennedy was killed. Uh, Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech in 1963. Um, in 1963, coincidentally, is when we sent military to Vietnam, like you mentioned. The stock market actually recorded three bear markets in this decade. So to level set, bear market is a correction of 20% or more. That, that's the definition of a bear market. But yep. think about this. So three times in this decade, there were corrections of 20% or more. And if you told most people that three times in the next 10 years, the market is going to go down at least 20, 20%, three different times, they would panic and be like, I don't even want to be involved. So it just lends to the foresight of, oh, things are going to be bad. Yeah. Well, and for so that that brings up a good point. So like for a younger person who's in the accumulation phase, so they're doing their 401k or their IRAs outside of work, you can look at it two ways, right? So, yeah, the money you have invested three different times in the 60s would have lost value. But if you're accumulating, those three times were really good buying opportunities for your long-term savings plan, um, you know, but not people in retirement, they might feel a little bit different about that. Well, but I, what, yeah, what do you think about that? I agree with that because if you're doing what we talk about and that's having a systematic savings plan, you didn't even have to figure out when the three best buying opportunities were. You automatically right. took advantage of them, right? Because there's, there's, two, there's two ways of capitalizing this buying opportunity, trying yep. to time when it's gonna happen, which I think we've, demonstrated time and time again, we can't time when to sell a market or to buy it. We don't know. Correct. There's probably times in between where you're a little right, but I know there's one way to be right. And that's an automatic systematic savings plan that people have in place. Yeah. Um, so you were th right three times in your buying opportunity. But I think even for those people who are in the, the decumulation stage or distribution phase, it doesn't matter if you have a right plan. So if you think about the bucket strategy that we create for people when they're in the distribution phase, it's a, a portion of liquid assets or cash alternatives, income producing assets and growth assets. Well, arguably those growth assets are, are what, what would have seen the largest up and downs, right? Yeah. Well, we're not planning on those for seven to 10 years, so it didn't affect this plan. And I think too many people actually go into retirement and they think it works like their 401k, right? So for accumulators, putting a little bit in over a really long period of time works really well. Right. And then some people think, oh, now I'm retired. I do exactly the same thing. I take a little bit out over a long period of time and work really well. Well, it may or it may not, because it really depends on where you're pulling the assets from. If that person in the distribution phase would have had to take money or make a sale three different times at the bottom of the market, they're just exacerbating their loss and they're locking in the loss. So for people that are in the distribution phase, this is why it's critically important for somebody to have a plan for distribution versus the same plan they had for accumulation. It's just a little trickier. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause it's like, you're just saying, if you have to sell at the bottom of a market, well, that drastically affects your plan. Um, way more negatively than selling at the top, right? If you're selling at the top, things are pretty good. Right. So for the 60s, we've talked about the doom and gloom three bear markets. Most people are thinking, man, 
bad decade, right? Yeah. Well, truth be told, it was actually fairly positive. The stock market has 7.81% average rate of return. And yeah. most people, if you said your money's going to go down 20% three different times, but you'll still end up with a 7.8% rate of return, they probably say, well, I'd take that. It's just mentally preparing people that these market cycles are normal. They're going to ebb and flow. They're going to go up over time and not get all that excited about what happens. And this decade today would have been a very good reason to have that financial plan. Because every time there was this bear market and people started to panic, you'd have the ability to go back and tell people or show people, I should say tell, right. but demonstrate to people why taking the amount of risk they are taking, what portfolio or asset allocations optimal for them, you could demonstrate to them with some level of certainty while they're, why they're doing it versus the default option when you guess, which is get out of the market. Right. And, you know, we talk about all the time at that point, you're helping someone quantify their decisions and you're, you're, you're giving them confidence and helping them, you know, sleep at night so they can go through, you know, if we were to have three bear markets in the next decade, especially after the, you know, the bull run we've been in, um, that would probably cause a fair amount of panic. I, we would be busy. We, yeah, we would. We'd be very busy. <laughs> we would be busy because, I mean. A lot of phone calls asking, how are you doing? Think about the last decade. Yeah. If you're, a, if you're an investor under the age of 35, you haven't seen any pain in the market until, <laughs> until this last March. And it well, came right back. You it haven't was relatively seen, painless because it was so fast. Right. So you haven't seen those delayed, uh, drawn out bear markets that just start to weigh, wear at you and eat away at your, your morale. So Elias, that ushers in the seventies. And this is where we start to see a lot of change in the world. The Vietnam war has ended. We start to see an energy crisis that sparks an economic crisis. Um, Nixon changed foreign policy by visiting China and Russia in 1972. That hadn't been done before. Uh, Nixon was impeached the Watergate scandal. Apple and a company called Commodore started the first producing personal computer. You think about how far we've come since 1970s to today. I mean, here's your computer today versus back then, like these big boxes right. and the thought that Apple was started in, in the seventies. And it brings me back to a class I took in college, Apple. So this would have been like early two thousands. And I was, in, in a finance course at the University of Iowa, and it was this um, trading course. It was teaching you how to like execute stock trades, and it was all fictitious, but followed the stock market of four stocks. It was Apple, IBM, Microsoft, and, and another one. And I remember back at that time, of all those stocks, Apple was like the worst. Like it was the it worst was? stock. Oh yeah, it was the worst because iPod hadn't come out. I mean, the Macintosh wasn't, who was using a Macintosh in 2000? Like you might've seen it in some schools, but nobody had a, a Mac at home. A lot of elementary schools had them. Yeah, yeah, but you didn't see it in the home. I'll never remember, the stock was trading like $10 a share. And now think if someone would have had the foresight, you know, to invest at that point in time. So I just think it's interesting because I feel like Apple for 30 years just wasn't well known. And today it controls like 50% of America's life. Like 50% right. of America run their life on an Apple device. At yeah, least I, I don't know the real number, but it's a lot. I mean, everybody in here has an Apple device right now. Um, 
And then the stock market plunged 45% from January 73 through December 74. So that's a pretty that's a pretty painful year right there. 45% from um, January 1973 to December 1974. Um, but with that, people were still rewarded for the decade. For the decade, the market still did 5.86%. So if you could have stomached that and stuck to a good plan and kept buying, um, you still would have been rewarded almost 6% annualized return. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was I think this is only decade where a conservative growth portfolio was the best performer. So that's 40% stock, 40% bonds, and 20% cash. Yeah, you know, and here's here's what I think most people remember about the 70s. It was this decade of hyperinflation, super high interest rates. You, you, know, you hear the stories, well, I used to get 12% of my CDs, and yep. you did, but inflation also went with it. In fact, I'm looking at this chart by Franklin Templeton, and that at that point in time, short-term interest rates were 8%. I mean, Ouch. you can't find long-term yeah. interest rates on high-yield debt. That's 8% today. Right. So so if you think about that, that, that's one of the reasons that the conservative growth or that, that model that holds more fixed income and cash outperformed the stock market. But I look at that, too, and say, well, so you had a 45% downturn in stock investors still made just shy of 6%. Right. And um, annual inflation being over 7%, and that's... I mean, that's really high because all these other decades are a lot lower than that. Um, you know, and right now we have, there's a lot of predictions out there of, they're calling it runaway inflation or massive inflation, however um, it's worded. But to me, this decade shows that you can have higher inflation and you can still get returns in the stock market. Well, the other thing that sticks out to me too is unemployment was a little over 6%. So unemployment has started to run a little bit hotter during this decade. Yep. You have the 18% in the 30s, the, I think, 5 or 5.5 in the 40s, 4.5 in the 50s, or 60s now. We're hitting this 6% unemployment. So unemployment's starting to creep up. And then that kind of brings in the 80s. And this is where we've turned the, 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 or turned the phrase Reaganomics. It's when Reagan kind of introduced this thing called Reaganomics. And, and it's basically reduced, you know, reduced taxes, more productivity, less government, all the kind of things we've heard about the last four years with the Trump campaign that was in office. A lot of these policies today are still questioned as to whether they really work, but it worked for Reagan to to take office. Um, what else do you, do you remember about the 80s, Elias, or from your research? Uh, well, there was at this point, uh, I think it was the largest one-day stock market decline. It was October 19th, 1987. Uh, the Dow Jones fell 22.5%, and, and that's one day. So that's, I mean, that's a bad, that's a really bad day. So you think about, it's unbelievable. If you think about yeah. somebody, they, they had their statement today, and the good news is back in the 80s, there was no ability to go check your your statement every hour, every minute, or daily. You had to right. wait for the quarterly statement. Could you imagine what would happen? And, and my question is, how far would it have gone today? And what I mean by that is people that are online checking their statement, they see it go down 5% in the morning. And next thing, it's down 10 which most of our systems today are designed to shut the system down so we don't have stuff like this. Right. But I would think there'd be a fair amount of panic today 
if you saw your investments go down 22% in one day, and it's because people have the information that it went down and they had the, the ability to act on it more quickly. You know, I wonder today if that wouldn't have been a much larger number if we didn't have systems in place to stop. To stop that. To stop that going down so right. quickly. Well, and, ho and hopefully today more people are in tune to good um, financial behavior and making good choices in those decisions. So, I mean, I, to I, I totally see what you're saying. That problem could have been worse, um, you know, but hopefully people using the right behaviors and making good decisions in times of chaos. Hopefully that would be curbed a little bit. Well, and here's what I think about. The decade ended up averaging 17%. So had people reacted from that one single day and said, I'm out, they missed out on actually one of the best decades we've had. Yeah, and going into it, if you were to ask someone going into it, okay, over the next 10 years, you're gonna get an average rate of return of 17%. But there's going to be one day where your account loses 22%. But if you don't do anything at the end of the decade, you're going to have over 17% 17 annualized return. How many people would agree to that Well, they, say, I'm in? The question is, they would agree, but would they actually do it? Right. The, the question yeah. is, could they do the follow-through? So really the question would be, hey, if we knew this was going to make 17% over the next decade, could you just not open the statement for 10 years? Me? No, I have but that, to look. But think if you made <laughs> yeah, the caveat, like, right. hey, the, the market's going up 17%, but you can't open any statement for the next 10 years. Could it? Could you open the statement, but then not sell anything and keep buying? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just thinking through, like, <laughs> it's, it's human behavior at some point, greed and fear start to take over. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm greedy. I'm fearful. Um, so I think it was a great, it was a great decade um, and I, and if you think about all these decades, there's crises in every one, you had a 22% yeah. loss. So the question becomes what happens in the next decade? We're going to have something like this. It's not really if bad things are going to happen, it's how we react to them. And in our, our opinion, and you agree with this and basically the whole office agrees with this is to have a well-crafted financial plan that you can lean on in times of chaos to help you make informed decisions instead right. of guessing because if somebody sold in the 80s they, they didn't have the software today right technology has taken over what we do from a financial planning standpoint the human element of financial planning is probably more important than ever people argue computers can do it all well they can do the mathematical calculations and all that stuff but they still have to interpret the data and then get it to the consumer or client or individual in a way that they understand which is usually simplifying it um, right. so, so that's one of the really cool things that's happened since, since the eighties and then it ushers in the nineties, which, you know, I'm not even going to look at what this is, but here's what I remember about the nineties. Dot com end of the nineties, everybody just doesn't matter. Throw the dart at the wall. If it has a dot com behind it, it's going to go up. Price is going to run up. Yeah. And, and I also remember my, my cousin, which coincidentally enough, he's agreed to do a show. Um, in our local area, he was one of the first individuals to host a financial radio show on our local channel. And I had called him. This must have been like three or four years ago because we were talking about doing a show together again. And I said, hey, what was it like back then? And he said, well, one guy would be in the studio and, you know, I'd be talking to him. And in our local area, there's like the number one show is this lawn and garden show on Saturday morning, like 
That's the biggest call in show in the area because every single person is trying to figure out why are my stuff not growing? How do I mean, it's just he and he hosted that, too. He said, but what happened is this show, this financial show became bigger than that show. And and what what happened is he'd have one advisor in the studio. And back then they weren't advisors. They were stockbrokers. And there was another stockbroker in the office with all the stock quotes and people would be calling in trying to get stock tips. And he said, you couldn't believe how fast people were calling in to ask what stocks to buy and sell. And I kind of chuckled them like they wouldn't even let us mention an individual stock today no. on the radio and let alone tell someone whether they should buy or sell. So when I think of the nineties, that's, that's what I think of. I think back to the Sir John Templeton quote, we started this with euphoria when everybody thinks it's easy, when you make money at everything, we're getting to that euphoric state, right? Yeah. And we, we have been, and it's, I don't know, I guess it has been relatively easy for the last, what, decade, 12 years. Yeah. I mean, most things have gone up and I remember the nineties as a great, you know, as a great decade from stocks. And it was stocks averaged 18%. Once again, you know, stocks outperformed every other asset class. We still saw pretty high short-term interest rates here, just shy of 8%. Um, and, and this is in this is the last time we've seen high interest rates like that from the late 90s through today. Interest rates have steadily gone down. And we constantly hear people talk about, oh, there's a bond bubble, right? Bond bubble, bond bubble. Prices are high because rates have gone down. And will that collapse? So I remember there's a broker dealer like three or four years ago that sent a, sent a letter out to clients saying, hey, you need to be watching for higher rates. Rates are going up. This could be an issue, you know, because, you know, the prices of bonds are correlated rates. As interest rates rise, prices go down. And this broker dealer have a lot of clients invested in bonds. It's one of the way they, ways that they built their company. And guess what's happened over the last four years? Rates have continued to go down. I don't bet against rates. I, I joked with my mortgage banker. I said, I, the last time I, I did a loan on my house, I just said, you know, give me the lowest rate because I'm going to probably refinance this thing at some point in the t some point in the future. He goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I've been with you for like 19 years and I took my first loan in the early 2000s and the rate was like 5.75 and you told me, you know, good rate, probably won't go lower. Then I refinanced when I went to 4.75 and my last loan I did was at 2.75%. Now it may not go lower, but I've basically been saying that for two decades. Yeah, for the last <laughs> 20 years, people have been saying rates can't go lower. Well, and you start to wonder, can our economy even operate at any rate greater than zero? Because people build their, their spending habits. I mean, unfortunately, in general, most people live to the max, yeah. right? They borrow the maximum house, they buy the maximum car, they do everything to the maximum. Can we actually even go to higher rates or does it act implode the economy? We just watch when rates go to 5%, watch what ha happens to new home building and refinances and new home purchase. It all starts to slow. Yep. So, you know, I just don't want to bet against rates long-term. Uh, Usher's in the 2000s, and this is really George W. Bush is elected. Um, we see a lot of cool things start to happen. We're seeing a, a massive resurgence in technology keeps growing. Um, we have a great recession. We saw two of the greatest bear markets we've ever seen. Both went down top to bottom a little bit over 50%. We saw the dot-com bubble where all this euphoria of the 90s and anything you buy with the dot-com behind it goes up. Well, that didn't happen. It started to go down. 
And then we have the financial crisis of, you know, 2007, 2008, which was driven by this, you know, really easy lending policy and and banks really participating in loans that they shouldn't have been. The the term ninja loan came into came into mainstream and people say, well, what's a ninja loan? No income, no job application or what I refer to as no income, no job, no problem. (laughs) Get you whatever you want. And the best loan ever. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) When I think about this, I think about the movie The Big Short. It's one of my favorite movies, and um, it's about the guys who try to predict that this was going to happen. And there were a very small number of people who predicted accurately or correctly yep. that it was going to happen. But the people that didn't, it wasn't just like, oh, I have a whim. Like, I think this is going to go down. They got a tip from somebody or someone said, hey, I believe this is going to happen. And they went and thoroughly vetted and researched why it would happen. And part of the, the movie, they go down to Florida, where one of the epicenters of where this is going on. And they go and they talk to mortgage brokers. They go and talk to individuals. They go to people's homes. And they're like, well, I mean, they didn't really even know what they were buying. I mean, it, it, so they didn't really predict. They put the they put the numbers behind it and said, hey, not all these people can afford these jobs. And I remember in our local area driving around with my wife, and this is a hundred percent fact. I'm driving around, I told my wife, said, I don't understand how all these people can afford four hundred thousand dollar homes. Cause I know what people make. I mean, we're meeting with people every single day. They're telling us what their income is. I can do the quick math on how much a mortgage of a person making a hundred thousand can afford. Right. And I just told my wife said, I don't know how they can afford it. Now I didn't have the insight or the knowledge clearly at that point in time to call this, but I had that feeling like, how can this be going on? And this ushered in one of the most painful decades. It's actually the worst decade since the great depression for stocks. Yeah. Yeah. And as we're almost down for the decade, 0.95%. So almost 1% um, down annually for the decade. And I, I do want to point out, so we've gone through every decade since 1930, and we've had two overall down decades. And to me, if you're down less than 1%, I mean, I just consider that flat. Like, I don't really feel like I'm losing at that point. Um, so for all of this talk of there's a huge bear market coming and this is going to happen, we're in unprecedented times. We look at all these decades, things are always happening. In our two worst decades, the stock market was flat for a 10-year period of time. Um, you know, which goes back to another thing we talk about. We've never had a, like a bear market or a recession. We've never returned to previous highs. That's never happened in the stock market. Yeah, we've, we've always recovered. In, in that, the, the 2000s ushering this new I generation. Right. What's yep. the I generation? It's this right here, the iPhone. People believe that they've had this. Div- like if you ask someone, how long have you had the iPhone? Oh, I've had it forever. Now it came out in October of 2008. It does feel like forever. It yeah. feels like forever. And I remember the first time I saw one, I was sitting at a restaurant with my sister-in-law and her uh, boyfriend. And he has his phone and he's like, oh man. I'm like, what is that? He's like, oh, it's this iPhone. I'm like, oh, man, what a waste. Like, I would never use that. And he's like, check this out. So he hands it to me, and we're at dinner with my in-laws, and I'm playing with this. I told my wife, I said, we're going to go get two tomorrow. And sure enough, I ran out to the Apple store and went and bought two. But at first, I'm like, man, I got my first cell phone 
because my parents wouldn't buy me one, so I had to buy my own. I got my first cell phone, Flippy 2000. You know, cell phones have been around a while, but I got my first one in 2000 and, you know, barely knew how to text. I started using the same, like, well, this is awesome. I can get my email right here. I mean, in the first generation iPhones were, they were great, but they're not like they are today. What Was it you could, music, email? Could, it was could music, email, you internet? get internet, you get internet, but it was slow. And they had some apps, but it's not, you know, you didn't run your whole life on it. But I never forget that day. That's I'm like, wow, this thing changed just the way we conduct business. And now even more and more and more people are really utilizing technology. And we've seen the, the mainstream technology come forefront during coronavirus. People that said they never adopt technology, they were forced to. And now they're embracing it. Um, so part of this, you know, the 2010s, the S&P averaged 13.5%. We haven't seen very much pain since, you know, the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. Until the coronavirus pandemic happened, people saw pain, but it was quick. Um, I think when I kind of look back to this and I think about all this stuff that we've looked at, if we just kind of eliminate the noise, right, of all the stuff that's going on, all the bad things in the world and say, I have a long term vision, I'm going to stick to it. One of the takeaways is that if you had a 100 percent stock portfolio since 1930, okay and you invested $1,000 and you did nothing, that would have been worth $4.5 million today. A $1,000? $1,000 investment in 1930 would have been worth $4.5 million today. Average rate of return to 9.8%. Okay? Yeah. If you had an 80% stock, 20% portfolio, that $1,000 would have been $3 million. So on and so forth. If you had all cash or... You know, basically all cash and fixed income, a thousand dollar investment turned into two hundred sixty thousand. So for some people, what what's actually happening is, it's not that they can't be successful being ultra conservative, but it's the opportunity of cost of what they could have done, and what their retirement could have looked like. And it's one of the things a financial plan will do for people. It will help them overcome the fear of the market, and get them off the sideline if. That's like I refer to the default option. If you don't know or you're scared is cash because you, be conservative, you feel yeah. like there's no risk. Right. In my opinion, cash is risky. It doesn't beat inflation. You're losing money every year and you're in cash. So Elias, we, you know, we, we summarize a little bit about why it's important to have a good financial plan, a good asset allocation. And I thought it'd be a good way to end the show. Since we started the show with a quote from Sir John Templeton and this white paper was put out by, Franklin Templeton, um, tended with a quote of his. And you don't even know I'm going to do this, but this, this is the quote. And you'll think it's a good one. And, and it talks a little bit about this whole past 90 years of investing. And he said the only way to avoid mistakes is not to invest. Right? I mean, if you're going to invest, you're going to make a mistake. We don't always pick winners. Some things go up. Some things go down. The goal is to, over time, do well. So the quote is, the only way to avoid mistakes is to not invest, which is the biggest mistake of all. And if you think about it, we just look back to the returns over the last 90 years. What had the greatest returns? A 100% stock portfolio. What had the worst? Basically cash. Right? So yep. we'd implore everybody out there, if you haven't done a financial plan, go to btwellshow.com. Go ahead and hit get a plan. Get in contact with us, and we'll start to help you craft the financial plan. 
and we'll be able to tell you with some level of certainty what the right amount of asset allocation or equity exposure is for your individual circumstance. Because we, we make each one of these plans individual. It's not a, just a one-size-fits-all, this is what everybody does, right, Elias? Yeah, that's right. It's not a... Uh... You know, it's not a cookie cutter plan and it's a, we do we have dynamic plans that we constantly update and I think what a good financial plan does this year has proven it to me it gives people peace of mind and gives people confidence in their financial situation yeah I, I think that was a really good takeaway so with that I want to thank everybody for listening um, hope you tune in next time if you need any help or want more information or if you have a question for the show Go to btwellshow.com, and we'd be happy to answer the question on air um, and create a show around that. Once again, thanks for listening. Till next time. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA CIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.